Well, what a week it has been for Iowa. A week ago, all eyes were on our beloved state. Media, literally from around the world, had gathered here in our capital city. A motley crew of wannabe presidents were here, along with their security and campaign entourages. A week ago, this place was glowing with excitement and stage lights and the endless assault of campaign commercials declaring that they approved this message and this message and that message too. The cloud of global attention surrounded us and then, well then in a moment, it was gone and a blizzard blew in. I heard some say it wasn't really a blizzard, but wind that was created by all the candidates and staff and media leaving Iowa as quickly as they could, a vacuum that just sucked in all that Arctic air. What a week it has been for Iowa. And I don't know about you, but I became kind of accustomed to everyone telling us how important we are, stopping by my door, calling me on the phone. It's it's hard to return to our flyover state status, isn't it? Thankfully, we have a Super Bowl to distract us. Otherwise, we might be a little depressed this morning. And so maybe, maybe we can identify, if just a little bit, with Jesus and his disciples in our text this morning. Yes, I realize it might be sacrilege to compare the hype around the Iowa caucuses to Jesus's transfiguration, but here we go anyway. And it's really not that big of a reach. For a moment, like Jesus on the mountain, the whole world saw our state, our great state, as it really is and as it should be. That we are beautiful and glorious and doggone it, we matter. And then, like flipping the lights off after a big party, it was all over. And we went right back to life as it always was. You've had other moments like these, haven't you, in your life? These mountaintops experiences when life is exactly as it should be. The celebration after winning a championship game. The moment when you say to your partner, I do. The euphoria when your new baby is born. That feeling when you first give your life to Christ. But it doesn't take that long for the feelings to fade, for the high to become a low And life returns to its ordinariness. Tonight, well, tonight we'll all be talking about the Super Bowl, even maybe someone like me who doesn't care a lick about football. But what will happen on Monday? On Monday, well, they'll start talking about the 2016 NFL draft, as if the Super Bowl had not even happened. Now, if you notice in the gospel story today, it takes a while for the disciples to fully realize the moment they are in. For them, it's just another trip up another mountain with Jesus to get away from the crowds. Jesus is going to go off and pray like he always does, and they're going to get some much-needed rest time and take a nap. They thought it's an ordinary day, but eventually their eyes begin to open fully to the moment, and when their eyes finally open, they see Jesus, but not ordinary Jesus, face glowing Jesus. And next to him are Moses and Elijah, two long dead saints, now talking with Jesus. And they almost sleep right through it. Luke tells us that now Peter and his companions were weighed down with sleep. But since they had stayed awake, they saw Jesus' glory and they saw the two men standing with him. 
They saw it all, and having seen it all, they knew this was a life-changing moment. One they will remember forever had they Facebook or Twitter. They would have posted right away, taking a selfie with the saints glowing in the back. You'll never believe what happened today. Hashtag unbelievable. Hashtag transfiguration. Hashtag blessed. But they didn't. What do they do? Well, Peter speaks up. He says the only thing he can come up with, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let let us make three dwellings, three homes right here on the mountain. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Now Luke tells us Peter didn't know what he was saying. But I think he knew more than we give him credit for. He knew this moment was something special and something should be done to honor it and remember it. He wanted to do what we all want to do in those moments, and that is stay there forever. Don't you sometimes wish you could go back to those moments when everything was right? Just build a home and stay there forever. When the marriage was perfect, when the children were completely dependent on you and and you were their whole world. When you were on fire for your faith and everything just made sense. If we could, we'd stay on those mountaintops forever. But eventually the clouds blow away. They always do. The glory is turned off like a light switch. The media leave the state. The thrill is gone and life returns back to the way it always was. Or does it? Life as it always was in A book, Breathing Space, A Spiritual Journey in the South Bronx, a pastor by the name of Heidi Newmark. She pastors the aptly named Transfiguration Lutheran Church. In her book, book, she writes about her church, how it was when she first arrived there, when she began her ministry now of 20 plus years. At the time, the church was kind of falling apart. It stood in the midst of a community that had long fallen apart, overtaken by poverty, crime, and drug abuse, a place that had been forgotten. And the church didn't really know what to do. And frankly, they were a little scared. And so what did they do? Well, they kept their doors tightly shut. They had good security. They kept themselves safe from the terrifying world around them. But then Pastor Heidi began to reflect on their namesake, the story that we read, the story of Jesus' transfiguration that named their church. And she was particularly drawn to that part at the end, part two that Gary read for us this morning, where we're told what happens after they leave the mountain. After this life-changing experience, one in which Peter, he, he, he just wants to stay in forever. But they must come down the mountain, and when they do, they don't know what to do with what they've experienced. They keep silent, we are told, and in those days, they tell no one of the things they had seen. And that's when they come across a man, a man and his only son. Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, this man says. He is my only child. Suddenly, a spirit seizes him, and all at once, he shrieks. It convulses him until he foams at the mouth, it mauls him, and it scarcely will leave him. I begged your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. They could not. Why could they not? Pastor Heidi continues writing. She says, when Peter and the others came down from the mountain, they found that father and that child grasping for life. 
But Jesus rebukes the unclean spirit, heals the boy, and gives him back to his father. And they, Peter and the disciples, they are the ones who found transfiguration. And so it is when the disciples of my Bronx church unlocked the doors of their private shelter and stepped out into the neighborhood, they did meet the distress of the community that convulsed and was mauled by poverty. But they also discovered transfiguration as a congregation as they connected with others. Often we read the story of Jesus' transfiguration and we stop when they get done, when the lights go off. We don't follow them down the mountain. And in doing so, we miss the whole point of this spectacle. And the disciples, they miss it too. They woke up on the mountain, they saw Jesus glowing, but they completely sleep through the point of the whole thing. I hope we don't do the same. Pastor Heidi concludes, living high up in the rarefied air isn't the point of transfiguration. It was never meant as a private experience. Removed from the public square, but it was a vision that would carry us down the mountain, a glimpse of unimagined possibility at ground level. A glimpse, I I like that phrase, of unimagined possibility at ground level. These things we do in here, our worship, our songs, our prayers, our fellowship together, they are glorious. And we leave glowing from the experience being with one another and with Christ. But they are not the point. The point is that through our worship of God and our fellowship with one another, we may get a glimpse of unimagined possibility at ground level. That is that we would leave this sanctuary, this mountaintop, and go out into the world. And when confronted by suffering and convulsing and a polarized and possessed world, that we would not throw our hands up in defeat, but we would tell of a Christ who can set the whole world on fire with God's love. If only we have eyes to see the transfigured in front of us, to see God's unimagined possibility all around us. When the lead up to Monday's caucus, a reporter contacted one of our minister colleagues, Randy Earhart. He's the pastor of West Des Moines Christian Church. And they wanted to interview Randy about his church, which was the host of the precinct for both the Republican and the Democratic caucus. So West Des Moines Christian Church, they had both caucuses in the same place. And he, the board, the, when the parties came and discussed it, actually one party came to him and the board discussed it, they said, well, we'll host it, but we'll only host a caucus if we can host both caucuses. So they went back and both parties agreed. When Randy told the reporter about this story and about their church, the Disciples of Christ Church, that was committed to unity in the midst of diversity, to Christ's vision of a table open for all, the reporter was kind of shocked. She wasn't used to talking to churches like that, churches that would host both parties and talk about unity, a church that was mixed and diverse yet still worshiped together. This was news to her. And so she amended her story. Instead of just interviewing people and seeing what they thought about the caucus, she told the story of a church, a church like ours, a disciples' church that was unique. That together they came at the table of Christ in spite of their differences. 
On caucus night, the church put on their Facebook page this post, we have the Democratic and Republican caucuses at West Des Moines Christian Church tonight. Both are overflowing, and many have to stand. Parking lot is totally full. People have to park at Valley High School Stadium. Fun watching people intermingling between the two caucuses. Unity in the midst of diversity. It's more than a slogan. It's a possibility. When I read that, I thought of that phrase, unimagined possibility all around us. That's why we come to this table. Here we remember, yes, what happened on the night that Jesus was betrayed as he took bread and he broke it and he blessed it and he shared it with everyone at the table saying, take and eat, this is my body for you. And then he took the cup and he blessed it and he shared it with everyone at the table saying, take and drink, this is my blood poured out for forgiveness for the sins of the whole world. And they ate and they understood a little but not fully. It was long after Jesus had died and risen from the dead, after they had seen the empty tomb and they had gathered as scared disciples in that upper room when their eyes finally began to open to the unimagined possibility all around us that this table wasn't just something they shared with Jesus of memory, but it was a table that was to inform their whole life. Their eyes became open, transfigured before them. They could see a world different. A world that was polarized and yet needed to come together. And that's why we have this table. May our time this morning at the table in the presence of Christ and one another open our eyes to see the possibility of Christ alive in our world, bridging divides, healing divisions, and bringing about peace and love. I invite the deacons to come now and let us pray and give thanks for these gifts. <coughs> Dear Lord, as we come to your table, we come with humility and awe at the incredible sacrifice you made, giving up your very life for the forgiveness of our sins. As we partake of these elements representing your broken body and shed blood, use them to transform us and send us out from this table to do your work and your will. In Jesus' name, amen. As communion is shared today, we'll be blessed with a song called Wind Upon the Waters, a song that speaks of us being awakened to God's spirit moving in the world. As you reflect, may your eyes be open to see where it is God is leading you and how God is moving us. These are the gifts of God for you, the people of God. Let us share them together in front of this table. Share them with the world.